Welcome to the Remnant Christian Center's podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message. Not too many that I'm really familiar with. I don't listen to a lot of people. Uh, so uh, there's always, I, I was born and raised in the church, and there's always been some craziness in the church and excesses when it comes to anything. Uh, so I'm very selective as to who I listen to. And so uh, we were really excited about that. We knew that he had heard from the Lord. And then he wound up moving into the fall. And I think he did a phenomenal, phenomenal job. And you got to understand something. A lot of you know PG back from OHOP and from Living Waters. But, but Darren and I, we know him back when he was just an employee at, at OCC. And so he would have to walk by us, right, and show us his ID to get inside the media building. And so, right? John, you know what I'm talking about, and Derek, you know, we're all there from OCC. And so, uh, so he's almost like a Clark Kent to us. It's like, here's this guy, always smiling, real nice guy. And for him to come out and move and as powerful as he does. And I remember the first time I, re- I had heard that he had this incredible growing youth ministry. And then um, Yvette, who was basically raised in the Cavario Church, which was a Spanish offset of Calvary Church, and um, over on um, Oak Ridge. So we went there because his sister was ministering, uh, and PG was preaching. And PG actually, man, I haven't seen that kid in a long time. Look at him go. And I remember him calling her out and giving her a word so specific of stuff that was so intricate and detailed, word of knowledge, that only Yvette and I knew. It's like, wow, God is really going to move mighty through this kid. And look at him now, right? Amen. So we're just so honored and blessed to have Pastor George to be our senior minister. Will you guys give him a hand clap? <laughs> One of the areas that he struggled with was not so much in studying, but his struggle was in delivering the weight of this message because he knew what it was going to do in the spirit realm, but he knew that he had to do it. He did such an incredible job, and Dan Springetti coming down from Wisconsin, and um, uh, we just we just love Big Dan. <laughs> He's a trip. We miss his daughter, and so, but uh, he asked me to close it up. It was going to be a four-part series, and so I want to speak to you today. I remember I got saved in the Sundays of God Church, and it was funny because in the Sundays of God they have this like this uh, shield, and it says AG, and underneath it it says all the gospel, like everyone else preaches just a part of the gospel. You know, everyone thinks they're the elite. And so, but that's actually my message is all the gospel. And so my text is taken from Luke chapter 14, uh, Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 18, or the first part of 18, and then verse 20 and 21. If you could all stand for the reading of the word. I always wonder why T.D. Jakes did this. And when I read this, I'm like, oh, that's why he does it. I never saw it before. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book and he found the place where it was written, he found the place. They didn't have chapters and verses back then. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. I'm going to stop it there, and I'm going to jump to verse 20. And then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. You guys can sit. (laughs) The custom was is they would stand for the reading of the word. Actually, they would remain standing, so I should have remained standing, but I'm not going to do that. (laughs) 
It would stand for the reading of the word and the speaker would sit down and preach. And so when he sat down, all eyes were on him and fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So what was fulfilled in their hearing? And that's what I want to talk about. Jesus quotes several passages from Isaiah 61. But I only want to focus on the first part of that. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Amen. So anointing, karaoami, karaoami in the Greek literally means to receive a loan, to borrow. I'm deficient in some area of my life, but when God's anointing comes upon me and smears me, he supplements where I'm short. Where I'm natural, his supernatural attaches itself to me. And that is what the anointing is. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach, to proclaim, to make known the gospel to the poor, the gospel, the good news. What's the good news? That you don't have to be poor anymore. And so I was born and raised in the church. And so uh, almost every Sunday they would preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and how they define the gospel of Jesus Christ is that he Died, or they removed the cross? Where is it at? Oh, thank you. They, whew. He died on the cross, and now we can go to heaven. And that was the summation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it was almost like a fringe benefit. It wasn't really much about living now because tonight could be the night, right? We could just be caught up and just leave tonight. Fifty years later, I'm still here. That's another story. And that's another message. But I, what, what I want to do is I want to talk about this text. What was fulfilled there? Because like I said, I grew up in church. And I've seen people struggle financially all my life in church. All my life. 64% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. Don't raise your hand, but maybe you can think of someone. Nearly 70% of people today have less than $1,000 in their accounts and their banks for any type of emergency. The average credit card debt per household in the United States is over $9,000. Average. Nearly 50% of Americans don't have life insurance, and people die all the time. 43% of all workers in the United States have less than $25,000 in their retirement. How many of you think you could retire in 25 grand and never work again? And so why is this? Well, the prophet Hosea said, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. He goes on to say, why? Because they have forgotten the law of their God. He goes on to say in Hosea 4.14, that people without understanding are ruined. Ruined. Man, it's quiet in here. What was fulfilled on that day when Jesus sat down? It was the demolishment of the curse of the law. And the curse of the law, and I'm not going to read Deuteronomy 28, was a threefold curse. It was death. And that's all we preached growing up, okay? You get saved, you're going to live forever in heaven with Jesus. And that is true. And that's awesome, okay? Although the reality is I can live with him now while I'm still alive, right? <laughs> It's not just when I die, but that was kind of the morbid way we thought things when we were growing up in church. 
But it wasn't just death, and we learned this big time, right? We were pounded, right? Derek, this and OCC, uh, PL also was with us in OCC, and PK, and of course PG, John and Sandra, you remember those days. He didn't just die to save us so we can go to heaven, but he died so that we can be healed. That healing was part of the atonement. That when he died on the cross, that by his stripes, we were healed. So it wasn't just salvation to go to heaven, but it was also healing so we don't have to live in sickness and in diseases. Amen? So that's two parts of the curse of the law. But the third part was poverty. And we haven't preached too much on that. Now, there's been a whole era of people that preached it, and there was all kind of excesses and all that kind of stuff. And, and like I said, I, I don't know. I don't listen to those preachers. At the very most, if he was considered one, I think I read one or two Kenneth Hagin books in Bible college, and it was only about the gifts of the Spirit. I don't know what they did. But here's the thing. I got four kids. And um, a lot of people have complimented me because of my kids and how well behaved they are. And that's because I, I beat them senselessly. And <laughs> and so they're, they're model citizens today. I can beat my kids, but you're not going to touch my kids. Right? And likewise, I'm not going to touch as much as I want to. With some of you are... I'm not going to touch your kids. So when some of these preachers did things that were in excess, all I could remember is when you pray, pray our Father. So God is not only my Father, he's their Father too. And God is more than able to discipline his own kids. So if they're doing something that's stupid, then I'm sure God can handle that. So Yvette and I were at a conference uh, with Rick Joyner and Morningstar, and I remember we were waiting to hear Paul Kane preach, and Paul Kane had canceled because he was sick, and so Rick Joyner decided to bring someone up to preach in his place, and it was, no, um, not Bob Jones. Um, help me out, Steve. He, PTL. Jim Baker. It was the first time Jim Baker had preached after he was out of jail had been restored, uh, and I, I tell you, at least 20 to 25% of the people that were in that conference just got up and walked out. And we don't want to listen to this guy. This guy took money, and he stole, and this and that. And it's funny how people say that, because I grew up in church, and every church service I've ever been to, they took up an offering, and I've never had an usher come up to me with a gun and force me to put money in the basket. Not one time. So no one's ever stole money from me if I gave because I wanted to give. Yet some people were like, oh, they, they stole from God. Okay? So he got up and he preached the message, and I saw a man that was restored. And I realized when I looked at him how humble he was and what God had done to him. How many, how many would rather humble themselves rather than have God humble them? <laughs> well, that was a perfect example. And I looked at him and I said to him, I remember even making him laugh because of the message that he approached. And we spoke to him afterwards. And I remember looking, to him, looking at him and saying, that's why I'm not going to be complaining about other ministries and what they do. God is more than able to discipline his own kids. So, again, I haven't listened to any of these prosperity preachers, but there was that weight on PG. I don't want people to misinterpret this. They're not going to misinterpret it because you preach accurately the things of what God is telling you to preach. 
I've never heard him preach anything that was off. And so I'm really, really honored to serve under, under Pastor George. But I want you to understand that poverty is part of the curse of the law. Okay, the word poverty, tohas, means to be destitute. It means to be without. And when John the Baptist was in, was in prison and he was thinking, man, Jesus is definitely going to get me out of here. He's the king, he's the Messiah. And then, you know, one day turned into a week, that turned into a month, and Jesus never showed up to get him out of jail. So he sends his disciples, hey, listen, go find out. Is, is he the one or should we look for someone else? And when his disciples, John the Baptist's disciples came to Jesus and asked him that question, Jesus said in Luke 7.22, Jesus answered them and said, go tell John the things you have seen and heard. I like that. The things you have seen and heard. You know, we have a church that wants to build pastors and start churches, and we have a, a church mentality that wants to send out missionaries and, and train up teachers. In the, how about raising up journalists that can actually discuss things they have seen and heard instead of the garbage editorials that we have on the news channels day after day? But go tell John the things you have seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, the leopards are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. So just as important as raising the dead was breaking the spirit of poverty over a people. Paul talks about this in Galatians 3.14. He says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. It's so easy to just read that and just continue reading and, and not going back and figuring out what does he mean by curse of the law. And it's that threefold curse. He died so that we can live forever. We, he died, the, the veil's been torn so that we can walk in intimacy with him now. That's the first and most important thing. Second, we don't have to live in sickness and illness. He died so that we can walk in divine health. And thirdly, he broke and utterly destroyed the spirit of poverty. But if you don't know these things, right, that's why we preach the gospel. But we've only preached one-third or maybe two-thirds of the gospel. And then the ones that have preached the other third, I guess they've done some crazy stuff and has turned some people off. And so we throw the baby out with the bathwater. Man, it's quiet in here. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. But why? Why did he redeem us from the curse of the law? The word redeemed is exagorazo. Exagorazo. So I have this... Uh, Fandango app on my phone. Did I say that right? And so the, the Chosen, the, I think they're going to be having, is it a whole series or episodes that are coming in the theaters? First two episodes. So, October 18th. She's on it. No, 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 you're good. Because I want everyone to see it. You and Rosie, you radical with The Chosen. I love it. I, I've seen so many Christian movies throughout the years, and man, they were just like retarded. They really are. It's like poor acting, poor some time. But these, the chosen, they've done things right. And not just done professionally, but very accurate. And where they take liberty, they take liberty in the spirit of the Lord. So there's a difference. Anyway, back to the text. So we, we've been redeemed from the curse. So if I go on this app and I purchase my tickets to see the chosen on the 18th, three times you said, on the 18th, I don't have to go and pay for the ticket when I show up, right? I've already, the price has already been paid. All I got to do is redeem the paper to gain entrance. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. He paid the price on the cross of Calvary. 
But he didn't, what did he, he redeemed us from the curse of the law. To redeem means to snatch out of its grasp. But to snatch out of its grasp to place us where? Christ, he tells us in the very next verse. So I'm glad you asked. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law that we might inherit the blessings of Abraham. So before we continue reading the rest of the chapter so that we can get through our, you know, Bible 365 days, if we stop and smell the roses, what is the blessings of Abraham? Genesis chapter 13, verse 2 says, And Abram, where am I? Oh, there we go. Abram was rich in livestock and silver and gold. Is that what it says? That's not what it says. It says, and Abram was very rich. Very is a huge word. Very rich in livestock and silver and gold. So my grandfather was a, was a, a pork rancher, I guess you call it. He raised pigs. Um, he was six foot four, and he had one pig. That, the back of it came up to his shoulder. Massive. He had won awards in Dominican Republic. All his sisters were cattle ranchers, and they... They also raised turkeys and raised goats and a lot of good food. But when you have a lot of animals, right, there was no Monsanto and, and all this corn garbage. They were grass-fed, all right? Um, and so when you have a lot of livestock, you need a lot of what? You need a lot of land. So it represents real estate, okay? It represents real estate. And silver and gold, which are precious metals, is the foundation of the global economy. Uh, maybe not since Nixon, but... Originally, the United States currency, the U.S. dollar, the euro, the British pound, the Japanese yen, the, what is it in South Africa, the ran, the ran, all were originally based on precious metals. So he was very rich in real estate and money. We've been redeemed from the curse of the Lord that we might inherit the blessings of Abraham. Solomon said something, and Solomon, I want to talk to you a little bit about Solomon. I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but if I have, I'll say it again, because faith comes by hearing. It doesn't come by having heard. So we can say things over and over again. That's going to bless you. So Solomon was the richest man that ever lived. Chronicles said there was no one before him that was ever that rich, and there's no one after him that will ever be that rich. No one ever after him, ever. Okay? So he received 25 Tons of gold. I'm just, I'm just talking about gold alone. 25 tons of gold every single year for 40 years. When you, and we're going to talk about the price of gold in a little bit, but when you break that down, that equates to about $2.3 trillion. So that means if you took the two away, the two trillion, left them with 0.3, he still would be worth more than Elon Musk. Thank you. It's just the gold. 2.3 trillion. If you break that down further, that's $100,000 a second every second for an entire year. So when he speaks about money, I think it would behoove us to pay attention. Right? Because there's all these quotes on social media. Bill Gates says this and Jeff Bezos says that and and, and, and Bill Gates, and, you know, they're wealthy, they're, they're, they're successful, regardless of where they are spiritually, they're successful, so people listen to what they have to say, and I don't have a problem with that, but 
Solomon was way richer. And I want to pay attention to what he has to say. And he says this. He says in Ecclesiastes 5.19, As for everyone to whom God has given riches and wealth and given him power to eat of it, to receive his inheritance and rejoice in his labor, this is a gift of God. This is a gift of God. Man, it's quiet in here. So having, I've been in ministry for 30, over 36 years now. I've been involved in finances for about going on seven. And the difference when I sit down with middle class and with wealthy, and you think there's a huge difference, right? I have a lot, I mean, a lot of friends that are millionaires, okay? One of them that I'm very close with, you would never know he's a millionaire, right? right? Frankie knows him, drives around in this little beat-up minivan and wears the same vest from Walmart and gets the sneakers from Walmart. And they're on Walmart, but I'm just saying, you know, you would think he'd be in a custom-made Armani suit. and oh, You would never know this guy has the wealth that he has. But anyway, the difference between them and the middle class is one thing. It's how they think. It is a mindset. Oh, they were born with money. Oh, I don't think I've met a single one that was born with money. But they did something as far as changing the way they think. So I want you to listen to something. What does God want from us? In Deuteronomy 8.18, it says, And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers, as in his day. So a lot of people have preached that it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. And that's true. But we haven't finished it with why did he give us that power and ability to get wealth to establish his covenant. Okay? So it's to promote the gospel of the kingdom. And nothing wrong with having things, but this is the purpose of the wealth. And so people will focus on one or focus on the other, but I want to focus on the first part. And you shall... You guys want to finish the verse? And you shall... Remember, in order for you to remember something, you've got to bring it to mind. You've got to think about it. It is a mindset. Zokher is the Hebrew word which means to recall and to ruminate on. And you shall remember, you shall think about this. In other words, you start thinking about it, you think God's thoughts, not your thoughts. The greatest warfare that exists in the life of a Christian exists in the mind. Because some people don't think that. I mean, there was a wave. I remember, Darren, there was a wave of uh, teachings on spiritual warfare. And people were getting out these maps and they were mapping out, you know, the principality over California and the principality over New York and, and Florida. And then they started pulling down those principalities in their, in their worship and in their prayer and and they were just going crazy. But nowhere in the Bible does it talk about that. See, Jesus didn't die on a cross in hell. He went to hell and took the keys of death, hell, and the grave away from the enemy. Okay? But he did not die on a cross in hell. And I'm going to get back to that. But one of the biggest challenges especially when it comes to ministering to Christians and finances, is their mindset. It really is. Uh, Paul talks about that in Acts 13, 46. He says, Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first, 
Since you rejected it and judged yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we're turning to the Gentiles. In other words, he was just so, he was like, I want this gospel to go to the Jews. All right, but you guys just keep rejecting it. So we're just going to the Gentiles. And I can't tell you how many times I want to do that. Forget the Christians. <laughs> Bring me the unsaved. Because it's this mindset blockage that keeps them from progressing. You know, it's almost like you go to a doctor and they give you this full examination. and say, okay, well, the prognosis is you have a blockage in your heart. So this is what I recommend for treatment. And you look at the doctor and says, no, I have, a, I have a broke uncle that he has a part-time job at a factory that, that develops Band-Aids. And he says I should do something different. Huh? Or you go to an attorney and the attorney gives you some legal advice, something that you need to do. And you're like, nah, I don't think I'm going to take your advice. I got a cousin who's a notary. And they told me I should do this. It's amazing. It's amazing how people will just reject biblical knowledge and just go with whatever someone else has told them. When Jesus preached, what did he preach? He said, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. It wasn't a, a fancy sermon. like we, And I love fancy sermons, right? One of my favorite preachers is here, Steve Halford. Just got back from Africa, a true apostle. We've been friends for a very, very long time, right? 19 years, right? Because Yvette was pregnant with Niali when we met. And I uh, just got back from Europe and Africa. And so just really, really excited about what God is doing in his life. But repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And so I grew up in church, and so we think the word repentance means to confess your sins. But that's not what it means. The word repent means to change your mind. I thought we were going to have Chinese food. Well, we were, but Yvette changed her mind. <laughs> so now we're going to have Italian food. There was a change in mindset. And that's literally what it means. It means to change your mindset. Because Jesus knew this. Jesus knew that people act the fool, and the reason why people sin and they do things that are unrighteous is because that's how they feel. Your actions are based upon your emotions, and your emotions are based upon your thoughts. Right? So if Darren was upset with me, he comes over and punches me in the face. He didn't do it just because it was on a whim. Emotionally, he was angry with me, and that anger came from a thought. Maybe it was an offense. You see? So Jesus dealt with the root of the issue. He said, repent, change the way you think. Because when you change the way you think, then you're going to change how you feel. And when you change how you feel, you're going to change how you act. So in Luke chapter 10, verse 17 and 18, he sends the 70 out two by two, and they preach the same message. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And when they return, the Bible says, and when the 70 return with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said, I beheld Satan fall like lightning. You see, the reason why those principalities and powers are over these states and over these nations is because they have jurisdiction to be there. Because we gave them jurisdiction because of the way we act. So someone says to me, well, but no, no, you don't know what you're talking about. Because the Bible clearly says in 2 Corinthians 10, 4, that the weapons of a warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to pulling down strongholds. Yes, it does say that, but there's a semicolon after that. And then Paul begins to define what those strongholds are. And this is what he says. 
And those strongholds are principalities and powers and rules. No, that's not what it says. It says in verse 5, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought into the obedience of Christ. So strongholds is your imaginations, it's your knowledge, and it's your thoughts. That's why, because the power that we have is the power is in that cross. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So where did he take that power? Did he go to hell and, and, and hang on a cross? No. John 19.17, And he, Jesus, bearing his cross, went to a hill, a place called in the Hebrew Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. The power of the cross had to be applied in the area where there would be the greatest level of warfare. It's in your mind. It's cerebral. Now, 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 so what happens is they go out and they preach two by two, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. The hearts of the people, they change their minds. And when they change their minds, their emotions change. And when their emotions change, their actions change. And those principalities and powers lost jurisdiction. And that's why Jesus said, I beheld Satan fall like lightning. We want to displace principalities and powers. We need to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and cause people to repent. Now, when that happens, they're going to be jumping in people. And that's where deliverance ministry comes in. Right, Dale? That's when we start casting them out. You ain't going to jump into my pigs. I want my penin. You go find another animal. Forget that. I know Jesus was gracious with that, but I ain't giving up my pig. I love me some swine. So what does it got to do with finances? It has everything to do with finances because a lot of the way we think is wrong. And we take things out of context. Like Jesus had no place to lay his head when he's speaking metaphorically of his headship, of his leadership. How many of you have so much money that one of the people in your entourage is an accountant everywhere you go? You ever think about that? We need to have a biblical mindset. We need to repent how we think, and we need to think God's thoughts. And Solomon, back to Solomon, he said in Ecclesiastes 10.19 that money answers all things. I grew up in church, and the only time they ever spoke about money other than tithes and offerings is the love of money is the root of all evil. Sometimes they drop the love, right? <laughs> money is the root of all evil. Yeah, you just got to live by faith. And so we, we think we're going to pay our rent by faith, fill up our gas tanks with faith, buy groceries. With, I'm at Publix online, and they're waiting for me to put in my debit card. No, I'm, I'm going to receive this whole grocery list by faith. Security. <laughs> Haggai chapter 2, verse 8. Thus says the Lord, the silver is mine and the gold is mine. God is saying the global economic system belongs to him. It may be in the hands of the unrighteous, and we'll deal with how that transfer occurs, but it belongs to God. When they got into the promised land, they didn't say, oh, here's the promised land. Let's just go in and just live in it. No, you've got you to remove some, some people out of there. We're going to have to war and remove some people out of there. 
And there's some, there's, there's some tribes that have been making residence in your mind. And you're going to have to war to get that removed. There's a war, but you got the power of the cross. You can repent. You can exchange those thoughts, imaginations, and knowledge that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ in exchange for his precepts, in exchange for his word. You guys, some of you may remember when we did a whole series on, on prayer. There are, there are, there's over 700 verses in the Bible on prayer. There's almost 600 verses on faith. But there's 2,320 verses when it comes to finances and stewardship. There's more verses on money than there is heaven and hell combined. For those of you who still believe in hell, there's some craziness going around. Everyone's just going to go to heaven. If that's the case, we just need a fourfold ministry, right? What are you evangelists for? Two-thirds of all the parables deal with stewardship and finances. We've got to change the way we think. It's a mindset. This gift that Solomon spoke about is a gift that must be stewarded. I think, and that begins with a plan. Okay? I think PG did a phenomenal job on stewardship. I've never heard him speak in that before. He did such a great job. And so there's a saying, people don't plan to fail, they just fail to plan. Right? And where do they get that? catchphrase from. They may not realize it, but they get it from Jesus. He said in Luke 14, 28, for which of you intending to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost to see if there's enough for its completion. In other words, you've got to have a plan. You've got to have a blueprint. You've got to have a schematic diagram. It's called the scriptures, by the way, on how to build financial plan for your house. David said it this way in Psalm 23, 5, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head, smeared, make up for the deficiencies. I'm going to borrow from you where I am deficient in. Anoint my head with oil and my cup runs over. That is his plan of prosperity for us. Our cup to run over. In order for that to happen, he wants to prepare that's a plan, a table for us in the presence of our enemies. Who are enemies? Well, there's anyone that had any doubt in your life. The people that said that you couldn't, but you will. The people didn't believe in you, but you still surpassed their expectations because you followed God and didn't listen to man. Maybe you lost family members and friends because you accepted Jesus Christ. But you know what? God wants to bless you not around the corner, but in the presence of your enemies. In order for that table to be prepared, what makes a table prepared and stable is four legs. And I want to talk to you about the four legs of that table. Number one, God wants to prosper you. That's been established already. Three PGs spoken on it twice. Dan Sprungetti spoken on it. Deuteronomy 8.18. For you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power, the ability to get wealth, to establish his covenant. That's leg number one. God wants to bless you. Now, that may mean something different for different people. Maybe you're an employee at a job, okay, and you're wondering why you never get promoted. Well, maybe you come to work too late all the time. Maybe you're in a rush to leave. Maybe you simply fulfill your job description to go above and beyond. You know, Joseph couldn't stop himself from being promoted because he had a spirit of excellence. Daniel had a spirit of excellence, and kept getting promoted everywhere he could. Where do you think that Joseph learned that from? He learned it from his father, Jacob. 
Jacob was just constantly, he made more money than his brother-in-laws. Laban paid him more money than he paid his own sons. Because he had a spirit of excellence. So some of you are holding your own promotions back and your own raises back because of your lack of work ethic. Maybe some of you, God is wanting you to venture out as an entrepreneur and start your own business. I've I spoken that already, so I'm going to leave that alone. But God wants to prosper you. That's leg number one. Leg number two, God wants us to be debt-free. Romans 13, 8, oh, no, man, nothing except love. Deuteronomy, be the lender and not the borrower. I, you know, when, I remember when I took my mortgage loan originator class, they taught us the four C's. And the first one was credit, which is your ability, your history of payments. But the second one was capacity. And that was measured by debt-to-income ratio. And I literally have sat with people that make 50 grand a year, and their lifestyles are more free than people that make 80 and 90 grand because their capacity is higher. They're not living beyond their means. They're not drowning in debt. So they have more use of the finances available to them. So number one is God wants to bless you. Number two, God wants you to be debt-free. He wants you to be the lender and not the borrower. We're going to get real here. Leg number three, God wants you to learn how to protect your income. So where do we learn to love from? That's a rhetorical question. Where do we learn to love? Okay. Uh, Kim is where? R2G? Right? All right. So Kim's... Kim's oldest daughter, you guys don't know her, okay? She's an attorney. I remember when she was a little girl. Uh, and, but she's an attorney. So it, it takes a minimum of seven years to be a lawyer. And my cousin's a, a, a doctor in New York City, and uh, a minimum of 11 years to practice medicine. Minimum. Yet people watch a movie, listen to a song, think they understand what love is, and they rush to get married, and we wonder why the divorce rate is so high. There's no education, there's no degrees, there's no certification for marriage, right? You can get a license. Where do we learn to love? For the most part, most of us learn to love from our family. But how many of us have dysfunctional families? <laughs> you don't have to smile. I may be the only one, right? Some of us weren't raised with any parents. Some of us were raised with single parents, right? I was raised with two parents. My dad was almost never home. But most of the part of my early, he was working two or three jobs. At least that's what we thought, you know, until I met one of his girlfriends. And I was like, okay, that's not a job. <laughs> that's an expense, but that ain't a job, you know. Uh, or him dealing with, in the early years, me growing up with watching him um, the, uh, struggle with alcoholism. And so we have dysfunctional families, and we take that, and that is our example when we get married on how we should love. There's no training there. So where do we get the bulk of it besides home? Well, m music and movies, right? Oh, I love you. Next scene, they're in bed. So we equate love with sexuality. That's an important aspect of it in, within, within covenant, but that does not equate to love. Or music. You know, people were in this uproar about a year ago, this uh, Cardi B with her w WAP song, WAP, and they were just so offended. And I'm like, were you expecting praise and worship? I'm just. <laughs> you realize she's not saved, right? Ain't nothing new under the sun. I mean, when I was a teenager, it was the Isley brothers in between the sheets or 
you know, Marvin Gaye coming out of retirement with sexual healing. And, and so, nothing new under the sun. But we, we listen to music all day long, and it programs us. And we equate promiscuity with love. But God doesn't have love. First John 4, 8 says God is love. Okay? And if you want to surmise the gospel... It would be in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he felt. No, that's not what it says. For God so loved the world that he gave. Gave. He didn't take. He gave. He didn't feel. And, and there's taking and there's feelings involved in that. But for God so loved the world that he gave. So how do you protect your income? There's two ways that you protect your income. James 1.27 says, pure religion before God is to care for the orphans and the widows. Now, some of your translations may say visit. Okay, that's incorrect. The word visit in the Greek, episkeptomai. Episkeptomai. I'd say that twice. Literally means to care and provide for. To care and to provide for. When do most people care and provide for widows and orphans? It says pure religion before God is to care or provide for orphans and widows. Most, when do most people do that? Reactively. When they become an orphan and a widow. But you can do it preemptively with life insurance. Man, it's quiet in here. Hey, listen, I studied this thing really hard and deep. You know, Benjamin Franklin is the one that introduced insurance in the United States. He got it from the Greeks, and it was fire insurance. He's the one that really started the fire department. You know, they would, um, whoever, whoever could save the building got paid. So if you ever watched that movie, Gangs of New York, <laughs> that's really what it was. There'd be a building on fire. Two gangs would show up. They would put a barrel over the hydrant. They called it a plug. To this day, the fire department calls it a plug. And they would just fight it out and brawl. And whichever gang won, they would be the ones that had the honor to salvage that house and collect the money. <laughs> while it's burning to the ground. So, but the Presbyterian church, I know we've come a long way in the Presbyterian church. Not in the right direction either, but that's another story. <laughs> but it was the Presbyterian church that read this verse and said, we can, if we can insure a house for fire, we can insure a life. And they developed life insurance. It originates from the church because it originates in his word. It provides an instant inheritance. Proverbs 13.22 says a good person. How you doing, PL? You doing good? Right? Frank, you doing good? Steve, you doing good? We, we said to each other, right? Harvest, how you doing? Oh, I'm good. And one day the Lord spoke to me and says, good in whose eyes? And the spirit took me to this verse. That a good person or a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. I remember when I first moved down to Florida in the 90s, the big thing was like bumper stickers. And I remember seeing one. It was really disgusting. It said, I'm spending my children's inheritance. Inheritance to me was like a fairy tale word, right? Because, I mean, I'm from the projects in the Bronx, and the only thing we inherited was debt, drama, and generational curses. Some people don't like to talk about this stuff, but, you know, Solomon, getting back to the richest man that ever lived, said something really interesting. He says in Ecclesiastes 3, 2, there's a time to be born and there's a time to die. 
and I searched the scripture. I promise you I did. Genesis to Revelation in multiple translations, and I can't find my obituary date. I don't know when I'm going to go. But I have a responsibility to care for my orphans and widows before they become an orphan and a widow. If not, I mean, this is what Paul tells Timothy. In 1 Timothy 5.8, but if anyone does not provide for his own house, especially of those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That's whether you're dead or alive. Pure religion before God is to care for the orphans and the widows. Solomon also goes on to say in Proverbs 19.14 that houses and riches are an inheritance from fathers. Well, my dad died. I have one sibling that took everything in the Dominican Republic that was his and his house over there. And I have another sibling that took everything in the Bronx. And me and my other sibling here in um, Florida, uh, what do we have? We have all the pictures that Yvette took of me and my dad. I think I have one shirt in my closet that he left, which I would never fit in. And so my dad was tall and thin. That's another story. It's a cross I bear. <laughs> but anyway... Uh, inheritance. I'm, I'm really proud of my oldest daughter. She's, not in, she's in her second home. Uh, she's done very well for herself. I'm proud of my son. He, he has his home now. And so they're homeowners. But I, and I'm proud of them, but I would have loved to have been able to fulfill this verse. But I, no one ever told me about this. This is like a fairy tale word, inheritance. But inherit, houses and riches are an inheritance from fathers. So I'm working hard for the second and third generation. I'm working hard to provide an inheritance that I'm going to leave for my kids and my grandkids. And if you change the way you think, you will too. Some of you are like, oh, I'm too old. Well, life insurance provides an instant inheritance. And not just life insurance. For those of you that are homeowners and have some type of an estate, another way to protect your income is having a will. That's also biblical. So Jesus is hanging out, and he's teaching one day. And this husband and wife, I don't know what happened to them, but they wound up dying. And they leave all that they have for their two kids. And these two brothers start duking it out. And they get into a fight. So they go over to Jesus. This is in um, Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Then one from the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus does what he normally does. He, he seemingly ignores their question and starts talking a parable. But at the end of the parable in verse 20, Luke 12, 20, it says, but God said to him, this night your soul is required of you. If Whose will those things be that you have provided? If you died, whose will those things be that you have provided? Who would it go to? Well, my father swore to me. I said, Pop, you should get a will. Ah, you don't need a will. Why not? Ah, because, you know, in Dominican Republic, things are different. How are they different? Well, you're the firstborn son of, my, of a marriage. So you're going to get it all, and I trust you to divide it with your siblings, which he knows I would have done it evenly. Uh, but then that law got changed, and he didn't know about it. So the firstborn child that was out of wedlock, anyway, that's another story. But let me tell you something. In 2018, when Aretha Franklin died, her, not a single member of her family got a penny. See, if you don't have a will, the state of Florida has one for you. It's called probate. It's ugly, and it's very expensive. In 2016, when Prince died, his $300 million estate went to none of his half-siblings. 
because you didn't have a will. In 1981, when Bob Marley died, Rita Marley had to fight in the courts for six long years in both Kingston, Jamaica, and London, England, to finally get her husband's estate. If it, so her kids are musically inclined. They had to sing in the nightclubs to put food on the table. It was like, oh, I'm going to follow my dad's foot. No, we're not going to eat. So protecting your income, life insurance, and a will. The fourth leg. So the first leg is God wants to prosper you. Man, it's quiet in here. It's all right. I didn't write the book, so. He wants to prosper you. He wants you to be debt free. He wants you to protect your income. And the fourth leg is he wants you to understand investing. Matthew chapter 25, verse 14 through 27. I'm going to look at this exegetically. PG did a phenomenal job. He taught on it hermeneutically. I'm going to teach on it exegetically. If you don't know what that means, see me afterwards because I'm running out of time. So I'm going to paraphrase this chapter. Okay, we're talking about here, uh, Jesus tells this parable of this business owner. He's going to go on this long journey. He calls his three stewards. He hands over their talents. Now, growing up, to me, talent means, da, 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 you know, whatever giftings that you have, right? Because we're reading an English book that's translated, but it's, it's a Western manuscript. And so there are certain things that are just lost in translation. So a talent is not your giftings and your ability. And if you heard people preach it like that, that's okay. That, that's nothing wrong with that. That's hermeneutically okay. But exegetically, meaning what exactly was being said in the text, that's what I want to touch on. So first of all, it says that when he went on, a man went on a long journey, he entrusted his wealth to his stewards. His wealth. When you get paid, it is all his. He, made, he established it. It's his wealth. Some of us think, okay, well, you know, 10% is God's and the, the 90% is mine. It's all his. Our giving of, our t giving of the 10% back is simply to establish and maintain covenant. But it's all his. We will have to give an account for how we use that 90%. That they will come. The text tells they will come when he will give a demand of how they stewarded his money. So he talks about how he, before he goes, he gives one steward five talents, one steward two talents, and one steward one talent, each according to their ability. Which tells us that everyone can handle money the same way. We don't have to be stuck there, but we just have to be cognizant of that. So what is a talent? One talent, a talent, first of all, is a measurement. And one talent equals 60 minas. One mina is one and a quarter pounds. Thank you. One and a quarter pounds. So 60 minas is 75 pounds of what? Of gold. Now, some, some texts will say it could be silver or gold. I know PG said silver. And so there's nothing wrong with that. But I'm going to use the context of gold here. Either way, it's a precious metal. So gold, let's look, talk about gold. One ounce of gold, and we talk about 25 tons coming to Solomon. One ounce of gold today is $1,738. Which if you multiply that by, by 16, because there's 16 ounces in a pound, one pound of gold is $28,105. You multiply that by 75, 
then one talent equals $2,107,908. Maybe now you won't be so hard on the guy with one talent. <laughs> Somebody who's austere and strict and maybe in your mindset borderline mean leaves you $2,107,000, you may be afraid of losing that money and you may be tempted to bury it. I'm just saying, don't be so hard on the guy. So two talents is $4,215,816, and five talents is $10,539,540. And they each did it according to their ability. Now, verse 16 says in the NIV that the person with five talents put their money to work and gave five more. And that's what I want you to understand. Most people work for money, but the difference in the mindset between us and the people that are wealthy is that they don't work for money. They understand how money works, and they have money working for them. So when Jesus said you could serve either God or mammon, but you can't do both, we think, oh, no, we need to just stay away from finances. How much did your plane ticket cost, Steve, when you went to round trip, England and Africa? He didn't go to the counter and say, I'm here by faith. <laughs> he had to raise that money. Okay? It's not free. So the gospel is, what Jesus did, paid the price, is free, but to promote the gospel is not free. You're sitting in comfortable chairs. We got nice air conditioning. The church I grew up in, the Bronx, didn't have AC. In the summertime, it was hell. It was Gehenna. It was Hades. <laughs> Those fans just blew hot air on. It made it worse. What Jesus was saying is if you learn how money works and you have money work for you, you no longer have to focus on money, but you can focus on the Lord. That's a different mindset, just a different way to think. The new King James says, and they went and traded with them and made another five. Well, where, where does trading take place? In the United States. The New York Stock Exchange, the Dow Jones, the NASDAQ, the S&P 500. The New Living Translation says, and they began to invest the money and earned another five. The Passion Translation says, the one entrusted with 5,000 gold coins immediately went out and traded with the money, and he doubled his investment. The key word here is immediately. Right? It's none of this, I got to be led of the Lord. I got to wait on God. Why did your uncle go to hell? I wasn't led of the Lord to lead him there. I wasn't led of the Lord to, to witness to him. You don't... You don't have to be led of the Lord for that. God wishes that none should perish. Right? There's certain things you don't got to pray for. Well, these guys immediately went and traded, immediately invested. And the Bible says in verse 17 that the one with two talents did likewise. Now, how in the world did they double that money? The guy with two talents doubled it to four, and the guy with five talents doubled it to ten. Well, there was this kid. How's my time doing? No, I'm doing good. There was this kid who was doing really horrible in school. He kept failing math, kept failing science, and he really wanted to learn math and really wanted to learn science, and he tried to teach himself because not even a, 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 what do you call, a tutor was able to help him out. He just wasn't getting it. It just wasn't sinking in. And one day he took his textbook and he threw it across his room in frustration. He sat on his windowsill, and he looked up at the stars, and he made this statement, God, I want to know your thoughts. Everything else is details. 
He goes to sleep that night and has a series of 17 dreams. And when he wakes up, he understands that energy equals matter converted and squared. His name was Albert Einstein. He said he spent the rest of his life meditating on those dreams. So he came up with, well, he didn't come up with it, but he made this principle famous. It's called the Rule of 72. And the Rule of 72 states this. If you take the interest rate that you're earning on your money and you divide it into the number 72, that's why it's called Rule of 72, it tells whatever answer you come up with, that's the amount of years it takes for your money to double. So whatever it was that these, guy, that these guys, the guy with two talents, the guy with five talents, whatever it is they invested, they understood this rule. And they're able to double their money, their master's money, when the master returned. And we're going to go back to that rule of 72 in a, bit, a little bit. But when the master returns, he demands to give an account for the stewardship. So the guy with five talents, you know what he did? He went, traded them. Here's ten. Jesus tells him three things. Number one, well done, now good and faithful servant. Now remember, I told you I grew up in church. 99.999% that I ever heard anyone quote that verse it was about when they go to heaven. Oh, when I go through the pearly gates of heaven, all I want to hear is well done. Thou good and faith. That has nothing to do with heaven. It has everything to do with how you steward your money on earth. Context. Number two, because you've been faithful with the small things, I can now entrust you with the large. Not because you pray more, not because you fast more, but because you manage better. And, I mean, there's no way we could have done any, any more, added anything to what Miles Monroe, you guys saw in that video. And he used to be my pastor. I used to live in the Bahamas before I met Yvette. And, and, and I didn't realize how, how close Derek was to him towards the end of his life. But what a, what a mighty message in Revelation. I mean, right, you saw the video? Benny Hinn was like, I've never heard that before. You ever get with somebody and they, they read the same scripture you read 3,000 times and they show you something that you've never seen before? And I'm like, that happened to me when I went to Bible college. I'm like, was I reading the Koran? What in the world? How did you get all that from that verse? And that's when I realized that that five-fold ministry teacher is different from what I had experienced growing up in school, in elementary and middle school and high school. And it's just something, anyway. The third thing he tells them is enter into the joy of the Lord. Well, what does that mean? Well, in the Greek, it literally means to exit the realm of anxiety. Now, as a retired fireman, I know what that means. Because Sunday nights and early Monday mornings, we worked 24-hour shifts, was the highest call loads that we had for heart attacks and strokes. Because people were dreading to go to work, to a job that they hated, to work under a boss who was mean, with a coworker they couldn't stand. Miserable. Enter into the joy of the Lord. I was meditating on that one day, and all of a sudden I had a vision. And in this vision, I see my hamsters. When I was a kid, my dad bought, got me this, uh, someone had left a, a fish tank to be disposed of. And he looked at it and brought it upstairs and cleaned it up and painted it. And then he cut up a bunch of newspapers and bought me some hamsters. And and, I, and he says, hey, one day he comes, hey, how are the hamsters doing? I said, they're, they're fine, but they look a little bored. So he took me to the um, pet shop, and, and we got this wheel. And we put it in there, and the hamster would get in the wheel. <laughs> and it would run really, really fast. And they got their exercise like that. So anyway, fast forward to the vision. In the vision, I see my hamster on the wheel. And it's going really fast. 
and all of a sudden it stops. And then it just steps out, and the vision ends. And I knew exactly what that meant. Because in the industry, we talk about people live in a rat race. They're in this wheel. They're living paycheck to paycheck. And they're working, and they're getting paid, and they're just paying their bills, but they're never progressing anywhere financially in their lives. Amen? He's just excited about the word. It's all right. So to enter into the joy of the Lord means to exit the rat race. Now, the guy with one talent, verse 25 to 27, he, the guy with one talent, right? He took the talent. He buried it in the backyard. When the master comes, he says, listen, I need you to be a hard and austere man. And I was afraid. The number one reason why people don't invest is fear. Oh, my God, the stock market. As if it's the first time it's ever gone down. I guess you guys were born in 2009, right? Because 2008 was horrible. 1987 was horrible, right? I mean, the history of the stock market's up and downs. But because of fear, the number one reason is because of fear. And Jesus' response was, you wicked and lazy servant. Mm, That's not what I want to hear. So this is what Jesus tells him. You should have at least put my, at the very least, put my money in a bank and earn interest. Now, why would Jesus tell him that? Did you know the average interest rates in banks today is 0.06%? Not 6%, not 0.6, but 0.06% interest. Now, let's go back to the rule of 72. 72 divided by 0.06% equals 1,200. That means it's going to take you 1,000. 200 years for your money to double one time. So let me put that in perspective. My name is Enoch. And I get Yvette pregnant. And she gives birth to that baby boy she's always wanted. And we name him Methuselah. Now Genesis 5.27 says that Methuselah lived to be 969 years. The oldest man in the Bible and so when he's born, we put $1,000 in his savings account. And he dies at 969 years of age and doesn't see his money double not even once. So, that, so why would Jesus tell him you should have put money in the bank or an interest? Because the Bible was not written in English. You have an English translation of a Greek text of a Hebrew-speaking, Aramaic-writing individual. And there are certain things that are lost in translation. So I want you to hear what the word bank in the Greek is. It's trapezides. Trapezides. And it literally means, check this out. I ain't making this up. All right? Enrique can confirm this word. It literally is an investment broker. It's one who exchanges money for a fee and pays interest on deposits. It's the people that the banks go to because the banks, when you put your money there, they're not your friends. They go to investment brokers who invest your money. They give you 0.06%, but they're making 12 plus percent. They are not your friend. It's interesting because when this is over, Jesus demands that the guy with one talent, that his talent be taken away and given to the guy with 10. And I've always thought, man, if I was God, I would have given it to the guy with four, you know, to try and make things even. That's what I would have done. Why give it to the guy that has the most? And then I realized something. 
God's not a socialist. I, I, I didn't write that. He's not a socialist. Sorry. So I'm going to end this off with some practical insight here. Number one, don't fear investing. Solomon said this in Ecclesiastes 11.1, 1, cast your bread upon the water for you will find it after many days. No such thing as a get-rich-quick syndrome, okay? You're in a situation you're in. You didn't get there overnight. You're not going to get out of there overnight, but you got to make steps. But cast your bread upon the water. Don't be afraid to invest, okay? Another thing here is don't get an investment from an insurance agent. You want insurance on your car, on your house, on your life? Go to a life insurance agent, but do not get an investment from a life insurance agent. That's a scam, Man, it's quiet in here. I'm, I'm telling you. There's a website you can go to. Can you put that up? Brokercheck.finra.org. If someone wants to sell you an investment and you can't find their name there, run. Run. Whenever I hear about, all oh, this church got swindled in these investments. And they, did you even do a background check on these people? Oh, but it was the pastor's third uncle removed. So what? There's been a lot of scams throughout the years. That's why there's a regulatory system. Number two, diversification. If you diversify investments, there's safety in that. Right? Don't put all your eggs in a basket. It's set for a reason so you don't lose the whole dozen. Right? I want my omelet. So put them in different baskets. <laughs> Solomon said it this way, Ecclesiastes 11.2 in the NIV, invest in seven ventures, yet in eight, because you don't know what disaster is going to come up on the land. He was the first one to speak about multiple streams of income and diversification. <clears throat> and I want to end it off. I know I keep sounding like PG, right? Five more minutes? No. <laughs> but I'm going to end it off with PG's list. When he ended off his message on finances, he gave a list of things you should save for. And so I want to talk about that. Number one, he says, save for your needs. And so you should add up whatever your monthly expenses are, and that's what you should have in your checking account. That sounds oversimplistic. But some of us can't pay our bills because we're overspending. Add up how much. Now, where's Miss Ruby at? Is she here? Ah, oh, there you go. Okay, first of all, I want to thank Charles for doing an incredible job on the Book of Romans. And he's continuing to teach on the Book of Romans. But Dr. Ruby Brooks, doctor, isn't it? Dr. Ruby Brooks is going to be teaching after him on financial and budgeting. And I specifically placed her at the end there because of this series. And so if you need help, come to that class to learn. Amen? So it's real simple. Number one, to save for your needs, add up all your bills and make sure you have that in your checking account. That sounds oversimplistic, but some of us need to hear that. Number, <clears throat> number two, PG said save for giving. Have an excess amount of money in your bank account because when, there's no need to pray for tithes. You make, you make, you make $1,000 a week, your tithes is $100. You don't have to pray about that. You don't have to be led of the spirit, right? You, just, you pay the 100 bucks. But for offering, God wants you to be a cheerful giver. And it's cheerful when you hear God and you obey God. So you need to have some money on the side and be sensitive to what God wants you to give. The third thing PG said to save for is for an emergency, Okay? For an emergency, do not keep your money in a bank. 
they are not your friends. For those of you that forgot 2008 with the whole real estate debacle, okay, when everyone's losing their homes and the government came and they paid off your mortgages and you, and you st no, that's not what happened. <laughs> they came and they bailed out the banks and people lost their homes. The banks are not your friends. They're in bed with the government. So do not do anything with the bank outside of a checking account. So where do you keep emer emergency money? A money market fund. Not a money market account in a bank. Okay, that's the Antichrist. It looks just, it looks just like Jesus, but it's not. A money market fund. So it basically it invests in debt instruments, cash equivalents, and it earns some interest, not a lot, but some. So that would be the perfect thing. You add up whatever your bills are and multiply it by three, and that should be your goal to fill up an emergency account. Okay? The fourth thing PG said to save for, save up for your wants. Give us this day our daily bread. God wants us to let, us know, let him know, even though he already knows, what we desire. And so for this, I recommend mutual funds. Now, I own stocks. I'm not against stocks. But in today's economy, it is very risky. People ask me about cryptocurrency. And so I said, well, how much can you afford to lose? If you could afford to lose 200 a month, then invest in cryptocurrency if you want. Take a risk. I'm not one of these people who just shy away. Right, we have a friend that made 300 grand on cryptocurrency. I also have six friends that lost their rear ends on a cryptocurrency. <laughs> so and if you want something very speculative, just invest what you can afford to lose and pray for the best. But when it comes to your um, wants, I recommend mutual funds. First of all, they're diverse. A mutual fund is a bunch of stocks and bonds in one fund. So that diversification provides safety. Number two, they're liquid, which means you can access them whenever you want. Or I'm, you call the company up, say, I want to liquidate my mutual funds, and in an instant, you get your cash. There's no restrictions on it. And number three, that historically, they pay high interest. So your money will begin to grow. As opposed to in a bank account, it just depreciates because of inflation. If inflation is 9% and your bank's paying you 0.06%, do the math. But I haven't lost anything. I still have $10,000. Yeah, but $10,000 today spends like 9000 last year because of inflation. Ah, the devil that you don't know is worse than the devil that you do know. If he comes at us as a, as a roaring lion, we can handle that. But when he comes as an angel of light. Finally, PG talked about save for the future. Now, 90% of the time, 90% of the time, I recommend a Roth IRA. 90% of the time, especially if you're an employee, okay? Because it grows tax-free, and when you retire, you get the whole thing, right? as opposed to I had a 401K when I was in the fire department. So when you retire and you pull your money out of 401K, guess who you got to give 20, whatever the tax bracket is? You got to give Uncle Sam a nice chunk. How many of you would rather have 80% of your money? <laughs> no one? How about 100% of your money? So a Roth IRA is an excellent vehicle for that for 90% of the time. Um, and, and 401k is good if they match. If they don't match, then don't bother. Another thing PG said for, when it came to the future was saving for college. Okay? There's different vehicles for saving for college, but I recommend the best thing is a 529 college account. And I've sat with people, oh, but I have one of those Florida prepaid. Let me tell you what that is. Florida prepaid is... I'm going to pay for tomorrow's college at today's price. So I'm giving, them, I'm giving the school my money now, and they're going to enjoy my money now, and I'm going to get a discount in the future. That's not a real investment. 
but a 529 account. Are you guys doing okay with this? There's some real talk here this morning? Just give you some idea? So let me give you an example. So when your kid goes to apply for college, typically they're going to go on this website, this federal website called FAFSA. And they're going to fill this out. And guess what? You as a parent are going to have to fill one out too. And they want to know all about your income. Now, let's say, for example, PL has $1,000 in his savings account. When FAFSA looks at his statements, they're going to look it through the lens of 50%. They're going to say he has $1,000. That means that he can contribute 500, 500 bucks, 50% of that. So now we can lower the amount of grants that we're going to give his kids because he has so much that he can give. If you took that same $1,000 and put it in a 529 college fund, when FAFSA looks at it, they look at it through a lens of 5.64%. Now that same $1,000, they look at PL's account, and what do they see? They don't see $500, they see $56.40. So now, more grants. You see how that works? All right, I want everyone to stand. Final bit of advice, if you have a retirement account with an old job, do not leave it there. Your company pays that, uh, that 401k account money to manage it, and when you're no longer an employee, they stop paying them, which means your money's on a roller coaster ride, and nobody's on the steering wheel. What I want to do now is I want to do an altar call. I want to do an altar call of repentance. Not so much because you're in sin. I want people to come up that want to change the way they think. I want you to change the way you think when it comes to God's desire to prosper you, God's desire for you to be debt-free, God's desire to protect your income, God's desire for you to invest and multiply your income. We have a world to save, and it, and it costs money. We're not going to fly around the world for free. We're not going to feed the poor for free. Okay? All the benevolence that we do, that we want to continue to do, that we want to expand, that's not free. Yes, there's programs, but that stuff isn't free. Your time isn't free. Amen? You by yourself? All right. If anybody wants to come up, we're going to go ahead and pray for you, and we're going to end the service. If you have to go, we dismiss you in the name of the Lord. Yvette, Steve, Frankie, Shawnee, if you guys could help me pray.
Thank you for tuning in. For more information about us, please visit remnantchristiancenter.com.